First, I want to give you a little context as to what we are talking about tonight. Uh, this is right in smack in the middle of a book, the book of Ephesians. And I believe that Ephesians is a very concise, theologically rich book. It has a lot to offer us. The writer Paul of Tarsus, uh, he uses the technique of contrast to bring home the message between the old life and the new life. So, thousands of years ago, before any of us were born, our foreparents, my foreparents, blatantly transgressed the commands of God. And as a result, the entire human race was plunged into spiritual darkness. What was bliss on earth turned into hardship and as a, as a result of sin. There was a foreclosure on the property that Adam and Eve inherited, and they were pushed out of their home. It was repossessed. Anger and jealousy resulted in the first murder. Corruption was on the increase and regard for God and his rule was on the decrease. The human race was in trouble. All of us. We stand here fully aware of the stark reality that all mankind was brought forth in iniquity and conceived in sin. Psalm 51. We also stand here to know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3 and 23. But, anybody like the word but? I, I, I fell in love with the word but as I was studying the book of Ephesians. The, the, the apostle in writing the book of Ephesians, he used the word but so many times. So he said, but Jesus. God sent his son Jesus. And when I think of the gospel, I think of Jesus in my place. Have you ever heard somebody describing somebody else and say, um, I know Peter. Peter Peter is a good fellow. He does all these nice things. But, and he goes on. The, the word but cancels out everything that comes before it. You know, so, 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 so you can't be a good person, but. For the time you hear, but I'm not interested in what I heard before, because that is now canceled out. So we were once lost. We were all born in sin and shame iniquity. We were all in trouble, but God, in his rich mercy, sent his son, Jesus Christ. So what happens after the but is very important. So we no longer have to live our lives as, as if we are lost because of Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's pick up this text. and uh, We're going to go through this text. and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump a few verses down and, and, and teach on that. And then I'm going to come back up and teach on the first verses. Is that alright? Alright, it's alright. So we're talking about walking in the new life. The word walk simply means to conduct one's life, to comport oneself, to behave or to live as a habit of conduct. So when we are walking, it is not just one foot in front of the other, but it's a lifestyle and people can look at your life and determine your walk. All believers have a very different mindset from those who are saved by Christ. As a matter of fact, all believers don't seem to have a conscience of what is right and what is wrong. They don't seem to. We know that they probably do. But they kind of push themselves to the limit. So tonight, as we go through this whole idea of walking a new life, the first thing I want to share with you, if you're making notes, is that we must first choose the way of Christ. And where did I get that from? Let's look at verse 20. Verse 20 and verse 21 simply says, But this is not the way you learn Christ, 
assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Christ. So verse 20 and verse 21 is telling us we should have learned Christ. By the way, how the Apostle Paul said it, he's not assuming, he says, he's not taking it for granted, he's assuming that you have heard. Because the truth is in Christ. We don't want to find truth anywhere else. I've met so many people who are in search of truth. We are not in search of truth, we are just following truth. We have the word of God, which is truth. The writers doesn't take church association or attendance for granted. So leaving home for 10 o'clock on Sunday morning to come here, or Sunday evening at 6 p.m. to come here, we're not going to take that for granted and believe that you do have the truth or that you are following the way of Christ because so many people sit in church and don't have the way of Christ. As a matter of fact, in the book of Job, the Bible tells me that Satan was in the midst of the heavenly host and it took Jesus, it took God to identify that he was there. So there's so many people who will sit among you, but yet they have not chosen the way of Christ. My friends, the way of Christ is diametrically opposed to the way of the world. Of the world, we must hear about Him, and then we must be taught in Him if we're going to follow the way of Christ. Now, it's coming to your church tonight, and I wasn't very sure where it was, so I called up Pastor John, and he sent me some directions on Google. And thank God he also sent me the link on the website because uh, Google just wouldn't work. So I was leaving home and Google Maps was just spinning all the time. And, and then when we got to Sky Mall, I said, I know I have to get to Sky Mall. I gave my phone to my wife and I said, you read the directions from there. And it says, the third left turn. And I'm not sure if I missed one. I'm not sure if I was counting right. And I, you, know, you know how you do that? And you come up. And thank God there was a little sign at the road. Which, ah, there's the sign. Because the road didn't have a name. <laughs> I assume it has a name, but the name is not on the pole. So here it is. Uh, the, the, the way of Christ, the way of Christ, uh, it tells us to follow the word. It follows the truth. So we have to choose the way of the Christ. My friends, each of us ought to walk in Christ. There's a stark contrast between your old self and your new self. So if you have not chosen the way of Christ, if you are just coming because your family is coming, or you're coming because of some other reason, it's time for us to choose the way of Christ. It writer tells us this is not the way that we have learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. Are we looking for the truth? The truth is in the way of Christ. There's so many people out there who today are serving a God or a form of God and they have all that they want to say about this God but if they're not choosing the way of Christ they're still lost it is not about the name on the building where we gather it's not about the churches that we associate with it's not about our families it's about the way of Christ and I'm so thankful that when we get to heaven that there will be no signs in heaven to say reform Baptist or Harvest Bible Chapel, or some other thing, we're just going to be brothers and sisters fellowshipping together. So my friends, you're making your notes. You need to choose the way of Christ. Very importantly, I also want to tell you this this evening that you should avoid the pitfalls, avoid the pitfalls of a hard and self-absorbed heart. 
So takes us back now to verse 17, 18, and 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles. The word Gentile here simply means non-Jew. The Jews were God's selected people. They were the favored ones. So when we speak of the Gentiles, we are talking about those outside of the commonwealth of Israel. Today, the word Gentiles also means those outside of relationship with Christ. So, so we were all once Gentiles. In verse 18, Paul outlines what we will call tonight the pitfalls. If you are to walk in the way of Christ, you must avoid the first pitfall, and that's the pitfall of a darkened heart. He says they are, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. It's a pitfall of what is called a darkened understanding. One must have much knowledge, or one may have much knowledge. You may have studied well, and you have all your degrees and your PhDs and, and all these things that you probably went after. You may have much knowledge, but if you don't have a knowledge of Christ, you have no knowledge. Because the knowledge of the things that you think of will only take you thus far. But I want a knowledge that will take me beyond the grave. I want a knowledge that will take me into the portals of heaven. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7. Wisdom is a principal thing. Therefore get wisdom and with all of your getting, get understanding. See, when we understand that, that our, our, our minds and our hearts are evil, if we, are not, if we follow those things, we are going to fall into a pitfall. You are also alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in you. Now, now in Barbados, John, let me inform you because uh, you may not know this, uh, but in Barbados, you're either ignorant or you're ignorant. <laughs> They're two different things. Right? Ignorance simply means that you're all learned. You know, when I leave here tonight, I am actually I'm planning to go to Miami. I don't want to be here for crop over. Anybody like that don't want to be here for crop over. I don't want to be here for crop over, so I want to go to Miami. So I, I'm borrowing um, um, Simpson's private jet, and I'm going to fly it to Miami. And I want to invite you to come go with me. I'm flying it to Miami. I don't have a pilot's license. I don't know how to fly a plane, but I'm flying a plane. Uh, who, who's going to go with me? Nobody. You know, because I am ignorant. I, I am alert when it comes to flying planes. So, 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 so being ignorant is one thing. Being ignorant is that you're stupid. We don't want to be ignorant. But if we are ignorant, we can, we can come to a place of understanding. The ignorance speaks of unawareness in relation to a, a deity, or it also speaks of an unintentional or involuntary moral lapse. Sometimes we go through some moral lapses and we make some decisions that are not wise, and sometimes it's because of ignorance. Because of the hardness of your heart. That's why we are ignorant. The word rendered hardness comes from the verb that means to petrify or to cause a callus to form. And so, figuratively, they become hard or insensitive. 
The New English Bible aptly states that their minds have grown hard as stone, which creates the idea that an insensitivity to the finer things which characterizes a life that is lived without regard for God or moral values. These are some serious pitfalls, and we don't want to fall into these pitfalls. The hardness of heart results in alienation from God. I look across this room, and I, I, I can see that this church is is a church of families because I see couples. I, 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 I hope I'm seeing couples. You're not just sitting beside somebody else's wife or husband. So I, I assume this is a husband and wife, and husband and wife all the way through. I can see that. And one of the worst things that can happen in a marriage is that we, we become alienated from each other. And, and sometimes in marriage, what happens is that we get upset because of one thing or the other, and, and we alienate ourselves. We shut down and we stop speaking. And that's one of the worst things that you can experience in a family. But you know what? At some point in time, I will or my wife will eliminate the other person and we will die and go and leave the person. And that's alright, we have to get accustomed to that thing in life. But when we are alienated from God, that's a serious place to be. We don't want to be alienated from God. The word alienated conveys a sense of being estranged from what was once possessed to be a stranger or foreigner. After doing all that we have done, after laboring hard, after coming here all the time and going to community group on Wednesday, going to leadership training, and all these things that you do, what a sad situation would be when you stand before God and He says, "Depart from me, I never knew you." That would be a real serious state of alienation. My friends, do you understand the impact of alienation? Alienation creates a void. And that is compounded when it is a result of our own actions. Sometimes we feel alienated and it's nothing that we have done to feel that way. But maybe we recognize that we are guilty because we, have, we fail to choose the way of Christ. Now we feel alienated. In verse 19, the writer describes a self-absorbed disposition. Look at it with me again. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They become callous. They lose all sensitivity and the capacity to feel shame or embarrassment. When this happens, the text reveals that they give themselves up to sensuality. They become greedy to practice every kind of impurity. According to the Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament, they manifest behaviors completely lacking in moral restraint. Usually with the implication of sexual promiscuity or extreme immorality. We've heard earlier from the text that, that sexual sins are committed within your body and, and not without. Do you not know? I like those words. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Lord God? And when you defile this temple of the Lord, the Bible tells me that he will destroy you. We need to avoid the pitfalls of a hard and self-absorbed heart. And what follows not only shows the stark contrast between the old and the new, but it's filled with cautionary instructions that would do us a great deal of good if we adhere to them. So on that note, I wish to tell you one last thing. And this is going to take us to midnight. We must intentionally demonstrate our transformation. Look what it says to us, starting at verse 22. It says to put off, put off the old self, 
which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Very often people believe that being in Christ has no effect on their behavior. You hear some people say that, you know, it's not right to do that, it's hard to do this, but when we're in Christ, it, it impacts on everything that we think and what we do and what we say. These verses of scripture that concludes this chapter highlights what your old self looked like and what your new self should look like. Verse 22 hits it on the head. It says, put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life. Not all of us, every one of us in this room has an old self. We have an old self that represents this world. Uh, I was born in a pastor's house, I, so I'm a PK. Uh, so I was never a sinner. I was always a saint. You know, I, I born with a halo. And uh, I had all of that going on, but I needed salvation. Amen. Because my old self was very rebellious. I, I didn't want to be in church. I didn't want to follow the way that, that my father was trying to lead. That's the old self. Folks, that old life is corrupt by deceitful desires. Note that it doesn't say that God will take them off. God, it doesn't say God will take off the old self, you know. It says we have to put them off. So, so there's a partnership. Christ did his part. But now we have to respond by putting some things off. I like how Paul put it to the church in Corinth. He says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I behaved like a child, I spoke like a child, I reasoned like a child. But, hear that word? But, when I became a man, I put away childish things. In other words, it was an intentional act on his part to put away the things that define him as a child. We have to intentionally put off the old self. So maybe the old self told lies. Put it off. Maybe the old self got involved in promiscuity. Put it off. Whatever it is that defines who you used to be. And sometimes we stand in, a, in the congregation and we compare ourselves to other people and say, well, I never did that, so I'm not as bad as he or she is. No, the old self is the old self. The root problem is still the same. It is sin. Verse 23 tells us what to do after you've discarded the old self. It says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. So how do you do this? I want to share with you from the rest of this text, starting at verse 25, how to do this, how to do this. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth of his neighbor. For we are members. Is it, is it hot? Is it, is it hot? Hot, hot in here? Excuse me. Allow me to take this off. I want you to visualize what is happening here today. Simply tells us that we have to put off falsehood. Now, this shirt represents the old self and the new self. Why not tell us? Put off falsehood. Stop trying to deceive others by using your words. So we put off falsehood. But if you just put off stuff and you don't put on stuff, you're going to have a little issue. So the Bible tells us to put on truth. 
Maybe put on truth. We are allowing the words of our mouths to be honorable and reliable. Do you know what teams do? They break into the steel. If I know that's a personal thief, I just mock out all my stuff. <laughs> you know what murderers do? They kill. So I stay away from those because I don't want to be killed. It. <laughs> but when a person speaks a falsehood, you can't trust what they're saying because you don't know when you're telling the truth. That cannot be set up as we need to put off falsehood. We need to put on truth. The second thing the Bible tells us, if you keep reading your text, in verse 26, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity for the devil. In other words, we are called to put off anger. Anger, my friends, is a serious emotion that can hurt you. As a matter of fact, when you have been a victim of anger, it has a way of coming back all the time and raising it head up. But what anger does, it causes you to hurt other people. But if we're going to put off anger, we have to put on something so we put on resolution. So you put off anger, you put on resolution. Learn how to resolve quickly. You know, many years ago, I used to be a counselor and do these things, and we would go do anger, uh, anger management and uh, how to do conflict resolution, all these things. Listen, we don't need all of that. Just put it off. Just say sorry. Just forgive. So we put off anger. We put on resolutions. Don't let the, 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 the sun go down on your anger. Don't give opportunity for the enemy to work. If you if you hold on to anger, the enemy is going to work in your anger. And the enemy is going to feed things into your head until look how that person is even looking at you. Look how that person is behaving because it is festering. You put it off. You put on resolution. You go to your brother and say, hey, you are my brother. You are my sister. Come take me by the hand. You hug him up and say, listen, let me put this thing behind us. Resolve it. I was talking to a guy yesterday, he said there's this fellow in his community who they will fight all the time. So, so one live uh, down the hill and next live up the hill. He says, every time I go down the hill, they will beat me and run me home. But they had to come up the hill to get ready to go. So every time they come up the hill, I would beat them and run them home. So it was this beat, beat, back and forth. He says, one day we met in Broad Street. So it's not down the hill, nor up the hill. We were in a, a, a neutral place, and he said he told us to stop, and we talk in Broad Street, and the father says, listen, let's put this thing behind us before we kill each other. So then, they can go down the hill, or up the hill, without anger, because they've had one conversation of resolution. The Bible continues, my friends. Let's look back at the text of verse 28. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hand, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. My friends, put off stealing. If it's not yours, leave it. I used to be a police officer and they told me the definition of stealing is when you take some person, something from some person with the intention, with the intention of permanently depriving them of it. So when you take somebody's property, that's called stealing. The Bible tells us to put off stealing. Let the thief no longer steal. You know, 
And then he used to do this in the King James Version. It says, let him that steals, let him that stole steal no more. Let him labor with his hands. And you just move the, the, the uh, punctuation marks and you realize it says something else. Let him that stole steal. No longer let him labor with his hands. <laughs> so he, he, he takes the scripture of God and he, he fixes it up. And I'm, I'm so thankful that we can't do this with this text here. It says, let the thief no longer steal. Put off stealing. I mean, you put off, you have to put on. So what we do, put on, put on honest work. The Bible says that, right? Doing honest work with his hands. So you put on honest work. Honest work also means getting work on time. Honest work also means not taking two hours for lunch. Honest work also means not giving ice service. Only working when somebody is there with you. If we're going to work honest, we don't need a supervisor. We don't need some person to look over our shoulders because we are working that's not onto man, but it's onto God. It's right here in the text. Right here in the text. Let's quickly move on and see what else we need to put off. The Bible tells us, verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fit the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So my friends, we need to put off corrupt talk. Corrupt talk destroys. If you cannot speak positively about some person, not speak at all. Sometimes we, 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 we just want, you ever heard an argument where somebody just, they just introduce the, the, the thing and say, but, but you're an idiot. And person says, oh, you're a fool. And they start to go out and they start to increase, and nothing that they say builds up anybody else. It pulls them down. We don't want to corrupt people with our words. We want to speak in such a way that people feel as if we are blessing them. So you put off corrupt talk and you put on graceful speech. Let the words that come from your mouth be so graceful that they will bless people. Maybe tonight you have to examine what you're saying. And maybe it's not your intention to engage in corrupt talk. But if you recognize that what you are saying is corrupting, it is pulling down, then it's time to stop. Sometimes we join in the voice of the nation and we speak about our leaders, our politicians, and, and all those people in such a way that it's so corrupting. When the Bible tells us that we ought to pray for them and build them up. So it's time to put off corrupt talk, put off graceful speech. Just two more things that the Bible tells us of. It says, put off grieving the spirit. Now this is one of these theological concepts that got confused with quenching the spirit. There are two different things. We, we grieve the spirit and we quench the spirit. Grieving the spirit refers to our actions that hinder the spirit from being himself within us. Not if he wants to lead us in something and we, we don't want to follow him. He wants to lead us into all truth. We don't want to follow him. We grieve him. We, we make him sad, if you want to put it that way. We cause him to, to be sorrowful. Quenching the spirit refers to the actions that hinder the spirit from doing what he can do through us. 
Now I grew up in Pentecostal churches, so so you know uh, somebody gets up in church and they start to run up and down and they start to scream and they kick down the benches and and they do all these these things in church and and somebody walks up to them and says, "Why don't you behave in church?" Says, "Don't quench the spirit. Don't quench." The, no, that's not that's not quenching the spirit. That's getting you to behave properly. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, it's as if we take Jesus and put him back on the cross again and we crucify him by our actions. Don't grieve the Spirit, but put on redemptive behavior. Now, what redemptive behavior are is that you live as if you're redeemed. I am redeemed, bought with a price. Jesus changed my whole life. If you can't look at me and see a changed person, if I can't look at me and see a changed person, then something is wrong. Something is wrong. Finally, my friends, Bible says, oh, even the Spirit. The Bible says, cut off bitterness. Verse 31 says that all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgives you. Bitterness takes us to the real darkness. When we allow things to happen within us and take us to the place where we become so bitter with others, what happens is bitterness leads us back to anger. Bitterness leads us to a place of resentment. Bitterness leads us to a place of hate. We are bitter. God doesn't want us to be bitter. He wants us to be better. He wants us to grow and be better and to be real ambassadors for him. But the only way that we are going to get rid of bitterness is if we put on forgiveness. My friends, forgiveness is a decision that we make to release someone, someone from the obligation that resulted when they injured us. All of us have been given opportunity to practice forgiveness. Now, if, if you've never been in a place where you had to practice forgiveness, just see me afterwards and I will create an opportunity for you. <laughs> Careful what you ask for. So many times we want people to forgive us, but we don't want to forgive others. We want to hold on to the pain and the memory of it. Sometimes what you need to do is to burn those things that cause you to remember so that you can practice forgiveness. As I conclude tonight, I wish to pose a number of questions to you. I want you to consider this. Does your life reflect the old self, a life of darkness, life of sin, or does it reflect the new self, a life of truth, a life of forgiveness, a life of graceful talk, a life of honest work? And maybe you can assess yourself and you can say, well, I'm doing good in some areas, but some areas I'm not, then that's a growth area for you. As you go home tonight, maybe you need to spend some time just thinking and talking to the Lord about where is your life. 
Is this journey that you are on a struggle for you? You really want to be a Christian? You really want to follow the principles of God? But it's, it's a struggle. Are you seeking to walk in the new life by daily pursuing Christ? The pursuance of Christ is not a one-time thing where you go to Calvary and say, Jesus, come into my heart at Calvary. But we have to pursue him every day. He says, take up your cross daily and follow him. If you're struggling, then ask for help. Ask him not only to help you supernaturally, but ask him to help you naturally with somebody in your life who can hold you accountable. One of the biggest things for us at our church is accountability. We, are, we expect men to hold men accountable and women to hold women accountable and ask the hard questions. But when people don't live under accountability, they do as they please. Gentlemen, are there any are there other men in your life who can ask you the hard questions, who can who can ask you questions that penetrate your heart? Ladies, do you have those females in your life who can penetrate your heart with those questions and hold you to it? Because that's what we need. My friends, it's time to put off some things and then put on some other things along this journey of life. I want to caution you. If you don't remember anything else I said tonight, remember this one thing. When you have put off things, leave them off. Do you know we as human beings have a tendency to go back and pick them up? And then we have a language where it says, Lord, could you just give me five minutes to do this situation? You pick You just pick up. I just picked up anger. So, what do you mean? song that we would say every now and again at our church and it simply says I won't go back I won't go back to the way it used to be that's what you have to tell yourself because I'm telling you tonight my friends we are always tempted to go back to what it used to be but tonight we are learning how to walk in a new life and for some of you this is just probably a recap of, of what you've already known some of you may be hearing it this way for the first time and for all of you, maybe just seeing this black and white shirt for the first time with things on both sides. But maybe you need to see the black and white shirt tonight. Is your life black and white? Sewn perfectly together? Or are you at that place where you can just tear it apart and get rid of that old self and just walk in the new life? I'm going to take a moment 
to reflect right now. Ask yourself and answer yourself. Am I truly walking a new life? Or am I struggling with the things of the past?